Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas can certainly change markets, but more importantly, they can change the world. Uh, today, uh, we're talking to a gentleman who quite frankly, just took it upon himself to be uh, the voice of the healthcare community. He is a member of IAHSS. He has also uh, been inside a security organization uh, with our end user community. And he currently is with an incident reporting company called Omnigo. But more importantly, Brian is like me. He's a conversationalist. He's interested in the conversation. He's interested in people, what they're thinking, how they're feeling, and running their programs. Brian, great to have you on today. Well, Ron, thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Uh, Brian just shared with me where he got the name B-R-I-N-E, Brian, where he got that name. And uh, you got to tell the story. That's a, that's a great story. Uh, absolutely. So my name, obviously, Brian, B-R-I-N-E, like you said, uh, I was named after my dad. And uh, my dad was named by my great-grandmother. So when she filled out his birth certificate, she simply spelled Brian wrong. She's Irish, and she wrote it the way she says it, so it's Brian. So that, that's how that came about. The, uh, another interesting fact about that is I'm the, one of the only Hamiltons in my family. My dad, uh, he was one of 13, and he is the, also, he was the only Hamilton. Uh, you know, my family name is actually States, but my great-grandmother also wrote the wrong last name on his birth certificate, he didn't realize this until he married my mom and had to dig up his birth certificate. And uh, yeah, yeah, so it's a really, really interesting story. Both of my names are a mistake, believe it or not. So you got an Irish mistake and you got an English mistake. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we like to be balanced. <laughs> okay, so Brian, I, I want to get right to the point though. Uh, you and I, we're, we're having conversations all the time, uh, but give me, give me from your voice of security standpoint, What's going on in healthcare today? What, if you could pick three things that are driving leaders today, top of mind, front of mind issues, what, what are those today? Well, given the time that we're recording this, uh, some people may be aware that we are in the, we are in the middle of a pandemic. So that's, that's definitely something that's been impacting our industry as well. So we're, we're looking at increased measures for visitor management. That's, that's been a big issue. You know, in the last few years, maybe the last decade, most healthcare facilities have, make, have made the transition from, from really limited access to 24-7 model uh, because of patient-centered care. We want to make sure that people can see their family members. Uh, family members, you know, the, we have studies that prove that being able to interact with the people that you love helps the healing process. So we, we've shifted to that model, and then all of a sudden this pandemic hits. So now we've had to look at, okay, now that we've let everybody in, how do we kind of limit that <laughs> and to some extent keep people out? So that's, that's, been a major, uh, that's been a major thing as well as just all the change that comes with the pandemic. We've had a lot of, especially early on, there's a lot of changes in information. So communication was a, was a challenge. You know, you write up a policy and then the same day it changes because there's some new information as to, uh, you know, how to protect yourself against COVID-19. So that, that's been one of the issues. Um, one thing that's always been front of mind is workplace violence and workplace violence prevention. So this is a, you know, this is basically an epidemic in the healthcare industry as well. Uh, we have, in, in recent years, we've seen some improvement here. We see people are actually willing to talk about this. Uh, prior, there was just a, this whole thought that it's part of the job. So people were really hesitant to report workplace violence. Now we've seen, a, we've seen improvement in that area. 
but that's something that's going to be something that we work towards for, for quite some time is, in, is improving that, but it's always front of mind. Uh, and then I guess the third thing that I would say is just around training. And we've always had, again, this is another thing that's always been front of mind, but again, you know, just given the current state of things, there's a lot of, a lot of question to how de-escalation happens, not just, not just from a security standpoint, but from law enforcement too. Uh, and another thing is use of force. So these are, these are two training topics that are, you know, that, that are, again, a major, a major turning, a major talking point for security leaders. You know, how do, how do we, how do we do this right? And, um, and so, yeah, so I would say those are the three things, at least, you know, in one man's humble opinion as, uh, as to what is most impacting our industry. Well, thank you very much. And then, and then the vendors, what are the vendors' reactions to these three or four things you mentioned? What uh, are the vendors seen by the, the healthcare uh, security teams as reacting appropriately? Are they too slow? Um, what kind of innovations uh, are, are they looking at uh, around those four topics? Yeah, I think, well, again, just from what I've seen, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that the end users would feel like we've been slow in what we've done. But again, a lot of it's just been touch and go because things keep changing. Uh, some of the things that we've done is increased visitor management measures. Uh, you've, seen an, you've seen an uptake in use of thermal scanners. So just different ways. Uh, uh, one of the big concerns is body temperature of somebody coming in the building. So with Omnigo, we actually have a technology that will take someone's temperature, it tracks it. And uh, if somebody happens to not make the proper threshold, uh, if, if, if their temperature is determined to be elevated beyond what's a reasonable threshold, it will actually keep track of that person. And uh, when they, if they, you know, say they go home, they're away for a couple of days and they get their temperature down and they try to re-enter the building. It's, it's going to still flag them when it, when you take that facial scan because it, the, the data is saved and um, it, you know, it'll hold it for 14 days to make sure that they've made it through that reasonable time. And of course that's dependent on, that's dependent on what your, what standards you want to use. You can, you can adjust that, but um, you know, it, it is just one, one help that's in place. Uh, some other technology companies I've seen have just been adapting current technologies they have in place to assist with this, this pandemic. So one thing that I'll reference is, um, uh, trying to remember now. <laughs> so the, the one thing that I'll reference is a technology that's been used to track uh, inventory. Like it's been, it's been repurposed to keep track of PPE. Now it's uh, this specific technology that I'm thinking of, uh, it's still working on a bit of an honor system but it, it does give you some kind of tracking of PPE because of course that was another thing when this first started, everybody was short PPE. Now, when they're tracking, are they, you know, there's been a, a lot of use of tags inside hospital settings, right? Tags for, uh, to track merchandise and, and equipment and so forth. Uh, are you talking a different kind of tag, uh, some other kind of code or, or are we talking RFID? What are we talking about? So we're talking more, um, I guess the way that this application would work is the same technology that's used for like uh, a Pixis machine or a machine that holds medicine. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to use a credential, you have to use your card credential and in many cases a biometric credential as well to, to access that equipment. So there's some, there's some folks who are using that same technology just to track, you know, the amount of masks that are being signed out. And the thing is, in most cases, you're able to access that whole inventory, but 
the idea is that people are going to be honest about it. And, you know, you, you do have the countermeasures of also having a, a camera in place. So if there is, if there is ever a point where the, uh, the data doesn't line up with, you know, what's been, what's tracked, you can review the footage and, and see where potentially see where there's a, uh, where there's a change where it's not reflective of what's Got actually it. taken. Got it. Now, what's really interesting is um, if we look at uh, hospitals, in a sense, they're open campuses. Right. And, and, and yet, and yet what we know about open campuses is uh, it, it, one, it's a challenge. Um, do you see access control taking on a whole different innovative approach within a hospital? Right now, today, it's fairly open. Well, yeah, I, I do definitely see it taking a different approach. I think the one thing that this has shown us, uh, just being in this pandemic situation, is that we are able to control access and, uh, and still function. So I, I think we're going to see a bit of a, I don't want to call it a regression, but I, I do think we will see a bit of a, a change towards some of the older standards where we actually had better, better tracking of who was coming in and out of the facility. I, I don't, it, regardless of what happens with this pandemic, I don't see that as something that will change too radically. I think there will be some kind of tracking that will kind of happen uni universally across the board um, once, once we're kind of out of this state, whatever our new normal ends up being once this is all said and done. Right. Well, if you think about it, our access control measures have been designed to create identities that um, keep people out unless you are certified or recognized as, as being part. But there are some advances now starting to use the very kind of technology you're using for the thermal camera to see somebody's body temperature. That's a little bit of facial recognition AI as well as, uh, as, well as body temperature. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's correct. And we're, yeah, we're seeing all of these technologies actually being used in a variety of ways. Um, yeah, so facial recognition, facial authentication, uh, lots of uses for it. And I, I know there was a lot of, um, a lot of technology that I was kind of following that was being used for other applications. But, you know, again, this pandemic caused everybody to shift and we've had to <laughs> focus our attention towards uh, j just preventing, preventing the spread of this. Yeah, so there could be a day where I'm, I'm trying to align the core value of a hospital, and that is we want to encourage family and friends to be around and support the psychological welfare of the patient because that psychological welfare helps them to heal. At the same time, we also want to ensure they're healthy. So we've got to attach some kind of health credential against an identity. And that identity over time can also flag um, people who we know shouldn't be allowed in the facility uh, because of other behavioral problems. Uh, so, so I'm thinking more and more you're going to start seeing more and more of behavioral identification tools uh, that will um, tell you, the security officer, when they need to actually be involved. Right, and you're seeing you're seeing some of that now to some degree, uh, when certain patients register in the hospital uh, with, you know, facilities who are utilizing this technology, uh, they've got it down to a science where, you know, email alerts will get sent out to the security dispatch just to let them know this person's on, this person's here, just you know, just to act with that sense of caution or other stakeholders who have been identified uh, just so they they have knowledge of that individual being present. So 
yeah, but you are seeing the uh, the behavioral alerts and, and those being leveraged in a lot of ways as well. Gary Gooden, the uh, CISO of uh, Seattle Children's Hospital, talks about um, the the best the best thing he could do is hide the complexity of his technology from the users and stakeholders to make it as frictionless as possible, uh, but still ensure the security and safety. And I, I guess you're hearing that more and more from uh, uh, from uh, the people in your community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it, to hide the hide the complexity of it. But yeah, as, as long as it's accomplishing the, the, the goal at hand, yeah, you are seeing a lot more of these, uh, these technologies being put into place. Yeah. Now, also, now you, how, how do you run your day job and still run the voice of the security that your, your program? Uh, and by the way, what do we call your program again? Uh, so there's, there's actually two podcasts right now. There's the, the healthcare security cast, which is more topical. We focus on different healthcare security topics. So for example, I've had uh, Nelson Price from Alaska come on to talk about canines in the, in healthcare. I've had uh, Ralph Cummings come on to, to discuss the use of body cameras in healthcare. I've had Eric Clay come on to talk about arming your security force. So there's that element. I'll, I'll release one of those episodes at least once a week. And then I'll mix it up as well uh, one or two times a month and have somebody come on to talk about something that's more personal development related or some kind of skill. So I've, I've had someone who's a, I guess, financial advisor come on. I've had a, a LinkedIn advisor come on. Uh, I've had a, a gentleman come on to talk about networking. So, you know, I, I like to mix it up, but uh, to date, I started the podcast January 1st and there's 53 episodes uh, uploaded right now. Uh, and then the second one is the Proactive Security Podcast, which I co-host with Mike Hodges. And that one is completely focused on workplace violence and healthcare. So we do that one once a month, but, um, but yeah, so th those are the two programs that I'm currently uh, involved with right now. Wow, you're busy. So tell me, tell me how you still do your job at Omnigo as, as well as these three different uh, podcasts. So it's, it's really just time management. Uh, so the one thing that I do, and I've, I've had this come up in a few conversations, is I kind of plan around my family. So, I, you know, I know my work day is uh, generally going till like 5 p.m. my time, 5.30. Uh, from, from around 5.30 to probably around 9 o'clock, that's just my family time. Uh, you might see me a little bit active on social media during that time, depending on what's going on in our home. Uh, but otherwise, that's, that's really it. So during the day, I'm, I'm focused on my job uh, after hours. So, you know, again, like I said, 9 p.m., you might see a spike in activity from me as far as like editing and recording podcasts and just putting together my content. Or uh, you, you may not see it because a lot of it's the back end stuff. But, uh, but if, you're, if you're a LinkedIn user, you'll probably you'll probably see me uh, doing some stuff after 9 p.m. and uh, sometimes till really late in the night or early in the morning, if you will. So what drives you? What drove you to do this? What keeps you going and even expanding it? For me, it's about impact. So what the Healthcare Security Cast, and I've, I've had to think back on this, uh, you know, as I've, as I've been working through, but I think what it actually has been for me to create is the resource that I wanted when I was kind of growing as a leader in my career. There wasn't really anything that I could do that didn't cost me money, <laughs> which was, which, you know, any cost at the time made it a bit prohibitive, uh, especially being a frontline security guard. I have, I have four kids now, but at the time uh, when I really started my, uh, my career growth, I, I, you know, I just had my third, well, my second and third, cause we had twins. <laughs> so, 
you know, m money was, uh, and then with my wife being on mat leave, uh, you know, money wasn't something that I, I had a, a lot of leeway with. So I had to be really careful about where I spent my money. So having a free resource like this would have been something that was really helpful to me at that time. So I'm just hoping that it benefits both uh, the up and coming leader and uh, the established leaders in the industry. And I think the way that I accomplish that is by covering a variety of topics, because you could have a, a security leader who's been in the same organization for 30 years, has a lot of experience, but maybe I alluded to Nelson Price earlier talking about canines, you know, they, they've never dealt with canines. So that's a new topic for them. So anything they learn in that podcast is going to be educational. So that, that's kind of the approach I've taken to it. And I've, I've had a, you know, my, my listenership that I'm able to engage with is it's a, it's a wide range. So you have some CSOs, uh, you have frontline security guards, everything in between and, and people outside of that as well. And how do you uh, end up sourcing them? How, how do you get turned on to these different people? A lot of them are people I know through the relationships I've developed through both IHSS and ASIS. And then a lot of them are people who I've, uh, who I've developed relationships actually online through LinkedIn. Again, I, I've mentioned LinkedIn earlier. LinkedIn's really the, uh, the main social media platform that I use. And I've been able to make some really great connections there and, uh, and had some professional relationships really develop and flourish through that, through that, um, through that platform. So um, look back now over all these audio casts, these podcasts that you've done and, uh, and tell me, tell me one that comes to mind right away when I said, when I, when I say this, I'm channeling you right now. Okay. This particular person touched me in a way that changed the way I think and do things in my business and in my life. Oh man. Well, I can think of someone, uh, there's a lot of them, but the one I could think of actually before the podcast was Jeff Young. Now, I, I interviewed Jeff Young recently, and when I first got really involved with IHSS, I went to my first annual conference and exhibition, and Jeff Young at that time was the, uh, was the president, so he was presiding over that, that in particular meeting. And one thing that Jeff Young had said was, he, there's a, in, in the episode, we actually allude to this, the, the Jeff-isms, as we put it, but one of them was, you know, we have to be more business-like. So that was one thing that really, when I first heard him say that, it, it really triggered a lot of things for me. First of all, like I've always, uh, opposed to now where I work at home, I, I wear, uh, you know, most of my wardrobe is Toronto Raptors hoodies. <laughs> but prior to this, I, you know, I, whenever I was representing my company, whenever I was representing IHSS, always in a suit and tie, you know, just to have the, have the business look, tried to be very professional in my conduct. And, you know, they're just one of the things that I learned from him. So he, he, something that he said, and I took it to heart and really applied it. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of them I could go to. Um, and a lot of them are people who I haven't had on the podcast yet. Uh, one thing I'll say about the podcast, I try to have a very diverse group of people. So I, I look for people all over North America and even expanding to, uh, you know, around the world. So as much as I've had a lot of people locally influence me, I haven't rushed to get them all on the show because I don't want it to become a, 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 an Ontario dominant podcast, right? I want to have a, a good range of guests. So even the person who motivated me and, and really influenced me the most in my career was my, my old director at uh, University Health Network, Todd Milne. I haven't had him on yet and I'm just, I'm waiting to do that. But, um, but yeah, like I said, I don't want to have too much of the influence from one area and that's, that's kind of the reasoning behind it. So for those of you in the great conversation community, um, I'm doing the same thing Brian is doing. I'm reaching out beyond me into areas that uh, 
In fact, Brian, Brian is actually, you don't know this, Brian, but you are the reason I just joined IAHSS. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, no, I uh, absolutely. I just joined. Uh, the SAGE group is now a authorized uh, uh, member of the uh, great community called IAHSS. It's, it's fun. I'm already accessing resources from it, learning more about the healthcare community. And of course, I've got your cast as well. Uh, we're going to be putting on our website um, uh, how to uh, actually become part of these uh, audio casts and video casts that Brian is doing. He has a tremendous impact on all of us. I really appreciate your contribution to our community, Brian. Oh, thank you very much. I, I appreciate that a lot, Ryan. It means a lot coming to me. Now, for, uh, for some of you listening to this today who've also uh, been interviewed by me, I want you to be uh, available to Brian. I'm, he's going to be joining the Great Conversation community. He's going to be seeing all of you uh, on, um, uh, on our website. And see, please be open to him. He's a wonderful man. So thank you again for a great conversation, Brian. Thank you.